Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. High five! Back to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. That's right, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast. I am one half of your hosting team, Dylan Short. Joining me as always, Adam Doc Herbert. Doc, what's going on, buddy? Oh, not a whole lot. It is wonderful to welcome everyone back to the Platinum Sombrero. I can't get over the name or our intro music. I love them both so very much. Um, Interesting note to all of you that thought the intro was too long. Well, screw you guys. I love it. So it's staying. Um, Very special guest today. It's actually the first time I've ever spoken to him. Uh, Eric Cole from Talking Chop and from all over the Twitter sphere and from pretty much everywhere else. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, guys. What's going on? Eric was so kind as to agree to come on to be our second guest today, and we actually are going to roll with this a little bit longer since the uh, the Gabe Burns interview ended up going almost 40 minutes. We're going to try this out this way and just get Eric's take on pretty much all of our stuff here, just in case one of us, not naming names, ends up saying names wrong or, or gets wrong stats, and it probably won't be Doc. Well, I can't, can't guarantee anything, but it's nice to have some backup. All right, so to kick off the show today... Uh, if you saw, Doc is now riding with Talking Chop. He's got his first. Uh, he's got his first piece out there now, talking about the the composite rankings between the Braves farm system and the San Diego Padres farm system, which I believe the Padres system was ranked slightly ahead of the Braves in MLB Pipeline. Uh, for Pipeline, yes, the the Padres got the nod. Now, why don't you go ahead and explain your composite rankings? Because if they're anything like me, they kind of need the kindergarten version, the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> okay, well, if uh, if anybody's been following me on Twitter for any amount of time, you've seen that I've <clears throat> done a similar thing to this for the Major League Draft. Uh, you see all the different publications coming out with their with their top 50s or top 100s or top 500 for Baseball America, um, and you get some pretty wildly swinging opinions between the different publications. And it's it's 
a pretty similar thing with with prospect rankings too. So what I wanted to do was kind of remove any bias, so to speak, from any of these lists and uh, put together a composite between Pipeline, Baseball America, Fangraphs, Baseball Prospectus, uh, Keith Law's list, and Dan Samborski's uh, Zips projections. Set up a reverse point system. The top-ranked guy would get 100 points. The uh, second rank gets 99 all the way down to where the 100th-ranked guy gets one. Goodness and gracious. I, you know, it's uh, it's a lot of data entry, but um, I, I work in accounting, so I'm I'm used to used to that. So it it kind of comes kind of comes naturally. But what I did after after I established the top rankings, everybody will be happy to know Ronald Acuna Jr. was number one. Um, I set up organizational rankings, and I added up. <clears throat> I did the reverse point system again for how the rankings all shook out. So. It's basically just a lot of addition for for seeing how, uh, seeing where everybody landed and adding everything up. I was also really curious. You know, the Braves had eight eight guys on Pipeline's top hundred, and the Padres only had seven. And the the word around campfire is the Braves had just absurd depth, even after even after the uh, the Capoella scandal. So I ju- just was kind of curious to see <clears throat> whether or not the Padres actually had the top system. And as it turns out, the Braves farm system, as you might expect, was uh, at least as far as the top heaviness of it, the Braves farm system was absolutely just the landslide winner in, uh, in these composite rankings. That's actually what I was going to talk to you about because I've got pipelines pulled up right now for the San Diego Padres. Now with Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, it's an interesting story on him. I don't know if he stays at shortstop, but if he does, that's going to be massive home run potential at shortstop. Uh, the glove is kind of concerning. Um, but I noticed that they've got Cal Quantrill all the way down at number four behind Luis Urias and Mackenzie Gore. Now, I know a ton of Braves fans that love Mackenzie Gore, and we're talking about him at the draft last year. But there's a few other names on here that I actually like more than maybe even some of those. Uh I am notoriously high on Adrian Morajon, for example. I think he's going to be an absolute stud. Anderson uh, Anderson Espinosa, who they got from the Red Sox in what deal was that? That was the Drew Pomeranz right, deal. Right, 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 right. But yeah, it was the Drew Pomeranz deal. I'm pretty sure. I believe you're right. And then the Michael Baez in there, he's another guy that throws 102. Not always sure where it goes, but high, high, high impact i'm a little shocked at how low they have jorge ona they've only got him at 18th and i was always really intrigued with his kind of power and average speed potential i like ona a lot more but what i'm I'm getting at here is i wonder if the padres got the nod on pipeline because they seem to be more balanced in where their top prospects fall be it infielders outfielders and pitchers as opposed to the braves where it's kind of all pitching oriented um, I think there's a couple of factors. I don't think that there's very much separating between separation between the Braves and the Padres, reg- kind of regardless of where of who you talk to. I think it's kind of a one A one B type thing. I think the biggest thing is for Pipeline. It seems like the, the Tatis and Gore; those are guys that were ranked particularly highly for them, and a lot of their talent, even their high end talent, is a little bit of a ways away. So you kind of are betting if you're. It, it's it's more of a gamble, I guess. There's a ton of upside in that system, whether it be on the position player side or on the pitcher side. And the Braves, on the other hand, 
it's it's weird because we were, it was just a year or two we were kind of betting on the Braves with all this young young talent, you know, down at Rome and then rookie ball and then high A. You're kind of betting on those guys panning out. It just sort of worked out that a good chunk of those guys did do well. But now there's a lot of this talent that is more of a known commodity, and maybe they haven't quite maybe reached super lofty ceilings in some cases, but they're right here ready. And in the case of Ron Acuna, he did both, where he's both almost at the show, and as it turns out, he's incredibly good. But the Padres and the Braves both have an extraordinarily large amount of depth, and the guys, I would... I would wager one of the reasons it was kind of a tie is that once you get into like the 20 to 30 range on the Padres list versus the Braves list is that there's more upside with that particular tier, I think, with the Padres than with the Braves. Whereas I would that agree. You're getting, you're, yeah, and it's not – I mean, we're, we're, we're at that point, we're splitting hairs because these are both very, very good farm systems, right? And it could turn out this time next year that – the Padre system could either just be like head and shoulders are really better than everybody's or like they could actually be like struggling for a top five spot because they're banking on a lot of really young guys, you know, making real steps forward and really being able to compete against like high levels of competition. And that is not a given. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily hate the idea of the Padres being ahead of the Braves. I, I do think the Braves have the best farm system in the league, but I don't like it. If it was any, let me put it this way: If there was any other team other than these two, I would riot. But given really? that the, how, how how much high end talent, I mean, like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Mackenzie Gore are both really, really, really good, highly regarded by scouts, by team officials, by evaluators, by fans. That those guys are really, really good. They, there's a reason why that they're so highly regarded. Um, now, let's see what they do against full season. This, you know some full season ball and see if, you know, if Tatis can stick it short or if he's at third. And if you can, I mean, like he was, you know, he was still in bases too. He's kind of a guy that can do a little bit of everything too. I mean, he's a, he's a candidate for the top prospect in all baseball this coming year, uh, especially once Acuna graduates and a couple other guys are kind of out of his way. I, I like the support, the Padre system a lot. I don't think it's a crazy notion that they are ahead of them in the ranked ahead of them. It's just kind of where you're placing your bets on some of these really young, high upside guys. And if you're placing those bets, then I can understand it, but you kind of have to own it too. And for pipeline, they're going to have to, you know, if, you know, Tatis, you know, doesn't necessarily have a great year or if Gore doesn't really progress as fast as, as fast as some people want them to, or, you know, even got like a Cal Quantrill or, you know, Anderson Espinosa, those are guys that like theoretically could be really good prospects, but they could also flame out because there's, you know, there's injury issues with both of those guys. So it can kind of go either way. Um, and the guy that you really need to keep an eye on is Adrian Morhone for, um, which is the number six prospect, I think, in the Padres pop- yeah. system according to the pop line. One of my favorite um, player, one of my favorite prospects in all of baseball, actually. Yeah, he can. He, he 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 he's kind of a guy that can jump up some rankings in a hurry too. He's highly regarded. Um, is a really live a really live arm, and you know, really good lefties is, are kind of hard to come by. So if he kind of continues to progress, he could be ready in a hurry. And it's, it, there's a lot of things to like about the Padres system. I don't. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with pipeline, but I don't think it's it's a crazy notion either. It is a little interesting that you said Braves and Padres. Uh, I'm wondering how I personally, if I were to rank anybody ahead of the Braves, I think I would have given it to the White Sox, and it's an extremely heavy, top heavy prospect list. Uh, it just seems to me like when you're talking about the 
combination of Luis Robert. Um, you're talking about Eloy Jimenez, who outside of Ronald Acuna is my favorite prospect in all of baseball. Uh, I facetiously said that he's Latin Mike Trout. In, in all honesty, I would say Yenis Cespedes, if we could have seen younger Cespedes in America. Um They've got Reynaldo Lopez, Lucas Giolito for whatever he turns into being, uh, Michael Kopech. They've got a, a uh, an absolute ton of super high upside guys. Were they placed third on the list, Doc? Do you know? Uh, for for pipeline, I know I know that they were in the top. Five. I think they they came out fourth. I think that they came out fourth. Let me. Uh, that honestly what shocks me a little bit. I wonder if it's a little bit more of prospect fatigue because when they got that deal done, they got Dylan Cease and Aloy Jimenez for Jose Quintana after getting Kopech in the and um uh what's his name over at second base for uh Moncada. Yeah, Moncada, sorry. Uh, and they got Moncada and Kopech for for Chris Sale. That's a farm system that looks at least from the top, probably the top one through nine or ten at least, looks absolutely ridiculous. Barring injuries, I'm actually not sure if I, I agree with that. I, I would agree like their top six are really good because I mean, obviously Eloy Jimenez and Michael Kopech, those are like top ten, top fifteen prospects in baseball. Um, and Luis, Luis Robert is really good. Al Hanson, Lewis Steele, where they got him in the draft because yeah, his, senior, his last year, his last year in college, for whatever reason, he forgot how to throw strikes and had like all sorts of problems. But then he figured it out again and was like dominating people in the minors. And I like Dylan Cease, too. But after that, I mean, you have, like, I know Blake Rutherford's in their top ten. I saw him play multiple times. I don't think that guy can hit. Really? And he didn't have any power. Yeah, I, he, he, you know, he had a really great prep, uh, prep career, and he might he may very well figure it out. I will say that. But he did not seem like a special player on the baseball field. And, you know, the, the, the ball wasn't really jumping off his bat. I don't think he's – he didn't really show any power. Uh, Jake Berger, I'm actually pretty sure, was hurt this spring. Torres and Achilles, And he's actually. kind of one of those – yeah, yeah, but he and I'm, yeah, I think he's going to miss an extended period of time with an Achilles. It's kind of, you know, it could range anywhere from a not insignificant amount of time to you know miss the year type thing, depending on how bad the injury is and what kind of repair you have to do. You know, and after, I mean, after that, we have Carson Fulmer, who's like people wonder if he's actually going to be able to have to be able to be a starter versus a reliever. Zach Collins is a really highly regarded catching prospect, but people actually don't know if he can catch, which means he might be relegated to first base, which puts a lot of pressure on the bat. I mean, I agree that the, the system's top heavy with those like top five guys being, being very good, but the, their depth is not. And I mean, if you start going further down their list, I mean, if I just look at it right now, there's a lot of guys that, you know, range from you haven't heard of them to you have to hope they stay healthy or kind of get lucky. It's not, I, I agree. It's not. It's certainly not a bad system, and you know, Yon Moncada graduating from that system is kind of a, a big hit to their overall value, I guess. So if like, you can still consider Yon a, a prospect um, because he's still a developing young player, that's that's one thing. But you know, overall, I mean, yeah, it's top heavy, but the the, the overall value, the overall depth. I mean, they're banking on those top five, top six guys being good because if they're not, I mean, they they don't have a ton of great help coming. Doc, your thoughts? I think it's going to be really interesting to see um, how all of this plays out for them. You know, based on when they started tearing everything down and kind of selling off their high-end pieces, the the Chris Sales and and, and those guys. I I think that um, I think that there's a lot of risk associated with that system, and they do have some some really good lottery tickets. That you know, a guy like Berger, 
when he was coming out of Missouri State, he was kind of one of those helium guys a little bit later in the year where he just kind of turned it on at just the right time. And he got a little bit of time in rookie ball last year. And then, yeah, he he, he blew out his ACL or his, his Achilles. And, you know, he's probably going to miss this year. So whether or not he's going to return from that, if he's a full-time DH, um, at least for, for the first year, there's a, there's a lot of risk there. Rutherford, I've kind of heard similar stuff that when he got drafted by the Yankees, he was a really great prep talent. And he's kind of fallen off. So between the risk in the White Sox system, which I looked it up, and they were actually third, uh, the, the Rays were fourth. Um, and with the graduations that are coming with the with the Brave system this year, because Acuna will will be gone, Mentor will be gone, Gahara will be gone, um, Freed will be gone as well, more than likely. So I think that we kind of might want to get used to the Padres being ranked at the top of this list, but. I did say that I put together the composite to remove my own bias, and then I wrote this this long thing about how you know the Braves are still the best. So I suppose I didn't really do uh, that good of a job of removing the bias. So you know I, I'm I'm kind of in the in the same boat as Eric, and that, that I didn't really have a problem when I saw that the San Diego was the top ranked system because they they've been doing really great work. The uh, the Braves had had so much fanfare about their J two guys in 2016, the the Maitans and the Severinos, but the, the Padres were, were crushing it over there, too. That's when they got Jorge Oña that you talked about and when they got Adrian Morajon. So they have a much tougher road to um, to get into where they would be a really impactful team, though, because being being in a division with teams that can spend like the Dodgers, like the Giants, um, like the, the Diamondbacks who have got a billion-dollar TV deal, you know, it's – It'll be really interesting to see where they go in the next couple of years. I think the, the Braves do have a slightly clearer path to contention. I would agree with that. And it could just be the simple cases. I haven't paid as much attention to the Padres developing farm system as I probably should have. Like I mentioned, I knew a lot of the top names. Uh, I didn't pay attention to a lot of the depth. Once you get past like Espinosa and Morajon, I kind of wasn't as into them as I probably should have been. Um, but speaking of those prospects, the Braves have had quite a few of their top prospects here at spring training, and I've got some stats on them. And, and of course, it's just spring training. It's not a ton of, of innings pitch for a lot of these pitchers, but you got uh, guys like Allard, uh, three innings and, and a zero ERA. The three walks are a little concerning as opposed to the one strikeout, which not really going to alleviate a lot of the concern, which had Allard drop down uh, a lot of the prospect list this year as they were wondering whether he could actually strike out big league opponents. But there's something to be said about being able to work out of trouble. And Allard did a phenomenal job at that. Josh Graham has been impressive with four and a third. He's got three strikeouts as opposed to one walk. Um, I think the story really, you got Newcomb who, by the way, only one walk in spring training, phenomenal start for him with four strikeouts free. Two walks, four strikeouts. He's got the high ERA, but I don't really care about ERA for the starters right now because they're really only going two, three innings, so it doesn't really bother me. Whistler has been maybe the biggest surprise, at least to me. Uh, five innings, and he hasn't given up a homer yet. Um, no walks, three strikeouts. His slider looks much improved. Uh, he still has those shock guys. What would you say? I'll probably have taken the 
I probably would have taken the under on five innings based on some of his starts in SunTrust. Right. It's uh, it's a little bit crazy. I, I'm excited to see with Whistler. I don't necessarily think he's in play for a starter. Uh, I think he gets that long relief role. I think he'll spot start if they need him to. But really, the big surprise for me, and it's a very exciting surprise, is how good Aniello Gomez has been. Now, he's given, he gave up a homer, but outside of that, he's been great. Four and a third, four hits, four strikeouts without a walk. Uh, I... I guess I, I suppose I can go ahead and put this out there. I'm about to, to pin a piece for Outfield Fly Rule uh, talking about what I think is the the chances for the bullpen to be the most improved portion of this entire Braves team. Uh, and there, there's a lot of names on here that I actually think I actually think that the bullpen will go from being a detriment to being maybe the brightest spot on this team. A lot of room for improvement there for certain. Just getting yeah, uh, getting. I- Oh, just getting Jim Johnson out of there and, uh, you know, the Ian Kroll's and, you know, Eric O'Flaherty's and Jason Mott, you know, all all of these guys. I I think that addition by subtraction is kind of the the name of the game there. I mean, this team gets a whole lot better if the Braves are even like a middle of the pack bullpen. And it's kind of nice when you have, I got, when you're in a situation where, this guy, you know, is going to be your closer, and he might be the second best reliever in your bullpen because that seems like, assuming he stays healthy, that title firmly belongs to AJ Minter. And after that, I mean, there's some interesting bullpen pieces. You got Peter, you got Peter Moylan who's coming back, and while you know a 39 year old reliever with a history of arm trouble isn't exactly something that you should hang your hat on. At the same time, the guy didn't lead the league, lead the American League in appearances last year, so it seems like for the most part his arm is holding up. And he's never going to embarrass you. He's got a guy that you can run out there, maybe not in high leverage situations, but he's going to be guys that can pitch meaningful innings out in the, out of the bullpen. And having a bullpen that has multiple good options is really important for one in this modern, like mo- modern major major league baseball, because you know you don't see guys going seven eight innings really much anymore, because innings and pitch counts are being managed differently these days, as well as the fact that. There's a lot of young pitchers that are going to be coming up, and they're going to have their innings managed just because they haven't thrown 200 innings in a year before. And you know, you kind of want to make sure you can get them out of trouble. You know, when they've kind of when they're hitting their bumps in the road, and having a bullpen that has you know multiple good pieces. I mean, I really like Daniello this year, this this uh, spring as well. It seems like he has a he has a inside track to kind of get one of those jobs, mainly because you know since he's a Rule Five pick, you don't want to kind of give him back for nothing. There. I think the bullpen is going to be good. I'm not sure if it's going to be great. Um, that depends entirely on kind of how, you know, how healthy Minter is and how the, the back end of that bullpen locks down close games. Um, I'm not sure if you guys were watching many games last year when they were close, but every time you'd see, you know, a Jim, a Jim Johnson or an Ian Kroll or, you know, insert random Braves reliever, more often than not, something not good would happen. Now, sometimes they got out of it, but there was also plenty of really close games that the Braves lost because the bullpen couldn't close it down. Even I, if they keep some of the guys that are uh, that were around last year, like Rex Brothers, you know, Rex Brothers can be really effective as a as a loogie type guy. And I think the, there's probably a chance you're going to see some guys riding the John Gant Express between uh, Gwinnett and Atlanta. Whistler was one that, that got talked about this you have certain guys in Gwinnett like Evan Phillips, who is an AFL guy, and Caleb Dirks, who could really stand to be somewhat impactful if, in the instance that some of these things fall apart, if if some of Moylan's arm trouble starts to flare up or whatever. So I, I think that um, you might see 
Anthopolis kind of gaming the system a little bit, the 10 day DL to kind of um, rotate out fresh arms that like the Dodgers were, were doing last year. I think that's a fun little trick he might've picked up out there. So I agree. I think the the bullpen has a chance to to really be improved this year. I'm glad you mentioned Phillips. You want to talk about he's kind of kind of no name unless you're really digging into the system. You want to talk about a big time arm. If he can get a handle on where it's going, I really <laughs> I really like him out of the pen. Now that's obviously the million dollar question is can he ever figure out where it's going or is he Mauricio Cabrera? Um, but I I'm also counting on. The Braves have about 15 starters for five spots. So you're going to have some attrition where some of these guys are just going to filter themselves to the bullpen naturally. Like I believe Lucas Sims in my heart of hearts. I believe Lucas Sims is a back end of the bullpen type of guy. He's got that demeanor ready. He's got an arsenal that's honestly over overkill for a reliever. Um, I, don't, I, I feel a little bit his fastball is a little too straight for me to really trust him as a starter long-term. But you want to talk about a guy who can go after hitters that way? I He may start in Gwinnett as a starter to see if you can he can either continue what was a great AAA for him last season or to to really establish some trade value. But I think, I think if Sim stays in Atlanta, he's with the Braves. That's actually the first question I had for Eric, really, was um, which, which of these arms in the system that we've seen – be right up here ready. So like your Max Freeds, uh, your Lucas Sims, um, uh, your Goharas, your Newcombs, uh, all of these guys, which of these arms do you feel is, is most likely to stay in, in the rotation, which is most likely to go to the pin and who is most likely to end up with another team? Um, that's a good question. I, it's tough to gauge because they all have, quote unquote different problems. Um in that, you know, with Gohara you have, you know, is he gonna be able to throw his change up reliably, even if just as a change a change of pace pitch? Because his arsenal is really good. I mean his I mean, his fastball is really live and his slider is like this wipeout pitch that makes people look silly. There the the number of guys that don't have a third pitch as like that are also really good starters Very in the major few. league. There, it's 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 a hard profile, right? Now, I'm not saying he can't do that because those first two pitches he's got are really good, and he does throw a changeup. He doesn't throw very many of them, and you don't really see lefty arms like that very often. To where you, you, you I want to see he, at the very least, because the Braves are going to give him every opportunity to pitch his way out of the starter's job. Uh, but he's he's a guy that could be a back end. Of, like his his floor is a really good reliever right now. But you know whether or not he makes it as a starter, I, the Braves are going to give him every opportunity to do that. But that, that's a that's a tough profile. With Newcomb, he has all the pitches in the world. It's just that sometimes, for whatever reason, whether there's guys on, it's sometimes in the minors, it was more when guys were on base for whatever reason. He would kind of have mental lapses. There's nothing about his delivery or anything like that that makes you think he doesn't have that he should have the command and control problems that he has had in the past. But if he can if he can cut his walk down to just a semi reasonable level, get it under five, a, please. That's all I ask. Yeah, under yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's. It's not. It's. It's not. It's kind of crazy that. I mean, usually, you know, when a guy has command and control problems, like you can point to like mechanical inconsistencies, or you know, there's something going on where you know he. But like he'll have it for three innings, he'll be like unhittable for three innings, and then he'll have an inning where he just can't find the strike zone, just can't do it. Um, and what that, that means there might be a mental issue. Now, 
can guys make mental adjustments? Of course they can. But it's also not an easy fix either. You can't be like, hey, actually, you need to step on the rubber this way or you need to, you know, adjust your mechanics this way. That's not you, – like, you need to think different. And that's a, that's a, that's a tougher fix at times. So, um, now, in terms of Max Freed, I really want him to be a starter. I really do. I, I worry sometimes that the combination of his issues with blisters, his injury history – and the fact that there's just so I mean, the, the biggest problem for all these guys is that if you're, if you're not relatively successful right away, there are five guys waiting to take your spot. Like, I mean, I don't know if you guys have been watching in spring, but it's going to be really tough to keep Mike Soroka down this year because he's throwing 95, 96, and he's making batters look silly. It's the biggest shock of the spring that he hit 97, and it, it, I had him as a 92-mile-an-hour guy. I don't know where this 97 came from. So he's he's hit ninety four ninety five in the past. Now I've I've talked to him a bit, and he spent a lot of time kind of getting a lot of lower body strength and kind of being able to you know use that to kind of get, be able to hold more strength and more power through starts. And whatever he's doing, he needs to keep doing it. And I mean, when you're throwing a ninety seven mile mile sinker, I mean, and Mike, and Miguel Cabrera just looks at it and just walks away. That that's not half bad. You know, you, you, he hadn't bad he hadn't that bad against uh, Solarte where it was just a clinic. He's like threw three straight change-ups to the kid, you know, and all of a sudden he just pipes 96 in there and then gets him on a slider. And the, the, the bat, like all three swings were bad. This was a, this was a major league hitter and then not a bad one. And all three swings looked like he, the, the, he had no idea what was about to happen to him. I mean, it, it was, so when you have guys like, you know, Soroka really pitching really well. I mean, Colby Allard, there's, Concerns about his velocity. I think some of them are overblown. Um, I I think that he has some more physical maturity issues in terms of just kind of growing into his strength and kind of harnessing what he's got while staying healthy and you know managing his health. With with a back injury and things like that, I'm sure he's not trying to uncork it every time, especially when he's coming off his first full season, real like real full season. All it, I know is they better they better stay prepped because my boy Joey Wentz is coming to take all their jobs. Well. I like I like Joey too. His off speed stuff has gotten a lot better. <laughs> so, I I love you know, Joey's they're, they're, demeanor. They're, it takes a lot for me to be really impressed with a young guy's mound presence. But like Soroka's is is one of those that uh, when we had Gabe on last week, he said that that's the one thing unprompted that everyone talks about is Soroka on the mound. I like that Joey Wentz is able to make adjustments mid start. So. For instance, if his curveball's not working, he'll scrap the curveball, go to the slider. Uh, if a particular location is not working for a pitch, he'll scrap that location. He knows how to make in-game adjustments without losing his effectiveness. And I still think there's more velocity to come with him. 94-95 in high school, really sitting about 89-92 to 92 last season. I really, de- I really think there's more velocity to come. I think he was more cutting down his walks. Uh, like I've said, I will die on that hill that Joey Wentz is my favorite arm in this entire system. Uh, I will take that to my grave. But I do want to talk about the hitters real quick because we're going to have to move off this pretty soon. Um, there have been a few really, really surprising moments for some of these kids in spring training. And then there's been some that have been not so shocking. Um, like Alex Jackson um, had kind of a tough spring. He's actually defensively behind the plate. He's been light years better than what I expected out of him. Uh at the dish, kind of the same problem. Seven strikeouts as of, I believe it was as of yesterday when I wrote this down. Uh, so I don't know if he got any more uh, yesterday or not. Riley with the two dingers, but he's also got seven strikeouts. Uh, Camargo had a decent one. Um, a homer, six RBIs, which is nice. He's actually walked 
which has been nice. Uh, two strikeouts as well, so good good on him. Acuna, obviously, is the story. 435, 519, 565 before the game yesterday. Um, an OPS over 1,000. Homer, four RBIs, two walks, five strikeouts, and two steals. Um, there is no chance that Acuna is starting opening day unless like six people get injured. That's not happening. That would be a stupid move on the Braves' part. So what I wanted to ask is, which of these rookies besides Acuna – which, which rookie do you think makes the most impact? Is it for sure a pitcher, or, or is there a guy like a, a Dustin Peterson, say, or uh, uh, or even an Alex Jackson, if if one of the catchers gets injured or struggles? Is there it, what rookie do you think makes the biggest impact? Okay, non Acuna edition, right? Um, I should say non Soroka as well because he's he's put himself right well, into that tier. Well, yeah, and also you're kind of you're probably talking to the wrong guy that. Uh, try to pump the brakes from the Mike Soroka train. Um, <laughs> uh, this is like, this is like choosing my favorite kid too. I think that this year, it's probably going to end up being a guy like, it's probably going to end up being a guy like a Luis Gohara who still has project yet, prospect eligibility. And I know that's kind of a cheat, like kind of a cheating answer because he's already had major league time. But the problem is, is that a lot of the other guys like Dustin Peterson, he has real work to kind of get back into the swing of things because that, that the, the injury he suffered is like notorious for sapping your power. And that's something he has to have to stick with a major league club because there's, there are guys with his hitting pet profile already on the on the Braves bench. I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that Lane Adams is a better ball, baseball player right now than Dustin Peterson is. And there's only so many room for so many guys with a, a pretty good hit tool that, you know, every once in a while will run into one. What he needs is kind of needs to get back to the game he had when he had Mississippi where he was hitting home runs out of Trustmark Park, which is a park that you don't hit home runs out of. Um, and so, like, the, these other guys, Austin Riley is probably – they're probably going to give him at least until the very end of this year to, to get ready. Now, if he's mashing in May, like where he's just, like, you know, hitting 350 and, you know – the, the the halls of you know Cool Ray Stadium up in Gwinnett are just littered with his baseballs. You know that's a different matter, but you know he's kind of a historically sort of a slower starter. Kind of has to get used to how more advanced pitching and how they're pitching to him, and kind of he's he's still learning in a lot of ways. And I just don't see him as being a super fast mover. I think he'll end up being a very good baseball player. I just don't think he's necessarily a guy that's going to like jump onto the scene right away. Um, so it'll either be a guy like Gohara, um, or, you know, kind of one of those, one of what is going to end up being a very loaded Gwinnett pitching staff, which will be, you know, a Kobe Allard or a Mike Soroka. That would be my guess. I don't think it's going to be the position players of Gwinnett. Doc? I think Minter is going to make a, it's going to continue to make a huge impact. And all these is kind of a, a cheating answer because he's exhausted prospect eligibility. Uh, he's just kind of on on the outside uh, of that, but I think that that he really is gonna. You know, I think that he might have some struggles earlier in the year. We kind of talked on that last week, but I, I think that he's such a little spark plug, and and having two guys that are as fast as NCRT and all these at the at the top of the lineup is gonna be really good for oh, this team. Man, I'm going to pick Albies now. Hold on. <laughs> See, Doc's already okay. cheating. He has I to hedge his bets. All right. I'll, I'll stick to I'll stick to my my original answer of uh, of Minter. I, I think that if used properly, I think that you could eventually make the case that uh, this Kaino could be a uh, valuable trade. Well, either either a, a setup man or a valuable trade piece, because 
this is this is something that we're going to see this year that we haven't seen as much. There really can be a next man up mentality. You've got say you've got a guy like Akil Morris, and and he is uh, he gets kind of a he's almost like a forgotten man. But I, I think a lot of people don't don't quite see as much of the, the control issues that he does actually have. But if he can correct a little bit of that, I mean, he was pretty good in big league time. And say that you've got somebody in the bullpen like a like a Viz or like a, a Moylan or somebody that, that generates interest at the trade deadline. I love this team, but I, I don't think that they're gonna be competing for the for the division title. So you might have some some guys getting picked around at the trade deadline, but you can actually have guys like Morris or Phillips or Dirks or whoever, or let's say Tuki Toussaint goes to a strictly bullpen role, then he could wind up coming in and stepping uh stepping into one of the roles that would be vacated by one of these guys case. And, you know, if you look at a guy like AJ mentor, he could step into the closer role and then somebody else could get called up to take his place. So not counting Ozzy Albies since he's not a rookie, then I'll, I'll say uh, it'll be, it'll be AJ mentor. By the way, Albies having a torrid spring as well. We talked about a uh, last week, Eric, where I have, I have a firm philosophy that the rookie year is never the hardest for a player. It is always the second year, depending on when they come up in their rookie season. So obviously, if a player is, if he comes up opening day, rookie year, basically. So if it's a Jason uh, Jason Hayward situation, uh, you can see it falter towards the end of the season, right at the beginning of the next. But Albies being a, a later addition to the roster last season, I believe his first half is going to struggle. Uh, now pitchers are just too good at making adjustments. Now it's going it'll be his turn to make adjustments. I think uh, that's the one thing I worry about with this fan base. You're going to have a ton of young guys, and they will always hit their struggles once the league adjusts to them. And patience is so far and away a foreign concept nowadays, uh, especially in a farm system as deep as the Braves. And you touched on it with with the arms, where if you struggle, there's somebody right behind you looking to take that job. I worry that it might. You might almost be too loaded at certain positions like starting pitcher for some of these guys to get, you know, kind of not get their full developmental time or let them go through their lumps because there's somebody right behind them to take that job. Yeah, I think that the nice thing about specifically about the starting pitching situation is that there are the guys that the guys that are currently occupying rotation spots. Um, like we'll talk about guys like you know Fulty or you know like Lucas Sims was in the rotation and you know Newcombs and everything like that is that I don't think that those guys are necessarily the ones. Well, I, I think that the ones that you would think about like the Fultys or the Sims, for example, like we kind of know what they are, and I think it's more likely what happens is that when the these younger guys that are in, it's not going to be ineffectiveness necessarily, or at least early ineffectiveness. That's going to get them taken out of the rotation. It's more likely if someone's in. Um, now <laughs> it's kind of an interesting case where let's say Fulty goes down with, you know, just some sort of ailment. Let's, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to wish any sort of elbow, you know, voodoo on him. Let's or say an like oblique, that. something that's but, not career. Yeah, so, yeah. Some, some sort of muscle strain. And then, you know, Mike Soroka comes up and goes wild. That gets kind of interesting. But keep in mind that Anthopolis was pretty clear that the one thing that they're wanting to do first is to give long, long looks at guys that are out of minor league options. So, you know, or, or have less minor league options. So 
even though it's nice to think that, you know, Soroka would be the next one up or things like that, there's a ton of guys who saw Major League time that are going to be at Gwinnett next year. And those are going to be, I, I would think that it's more likely early on that those guys will like be in for spot starts or, you know, spot starts here and there, as opposed to a guy like Soroka. Cause when you're calling up Mike, you're calling him up to stay because there. he is now a member of your, he is now a member of your rotation. And that's going to come more from like, you know, like whether or not a trade happens, whether that be like, you know, the, the long rumored and, you know, the, the long thought about Julio Ron trade or, you know, some guy, someone falls in love with Fulte or something like that. If you have something like that come up and, you know, a guy like Soroka or Allard is, you know, lighting the world on fire down in Gwinnett, that, that's where I see that's more likely to happen. In terms of ineffectiveness, I think that the Braves know that this isn't their window yet. Now, if this team is competing, you know, you know, especially once Acuna arrives in mid-April and there's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's hitting on June and they're, you know, they're kind of sniffing first place. Things kind of get a little more interesting, but I think that it's more likely that the Braves want to know what they have in terms of like these guys that they have in the rotation now, and they're going to let them kind of figure things out as the best they can, because ultimately it's going to determine like who they trade for, how they value guys, you know, in terms of trading them away or, and things like that. I think that that, that part of the evaluation process is really important to them. So I don't necessarily think it's going to be an impatience thing. You know, we're listening to fans this year. Now, after this year, when, you know, they're really, that's when they, it feels like they're going to make their real push. That's an entirely different matter. Now, talking about trades, the Braves did just bring in a very interesting profile, to say the least. Uh, Ryan Schimpf, yeah. who might be the the very epitome in baseball of the three true outcomes. Um, yeah, He is either going to homer, pop up, or strike out. There is no other alternative there. Uh, when you're, when, What do you think well, about Schimpf? He walked Schimpf? a lot, too. But Last year was uh, pretty bad for him all around. Yeah, uh, he's he's kind of a guy. He does walk a lot. Uh, it's kind of weird to have a guy that hits more home runs than singles. So Joey Gallo, kind of a well, <laughs> he doesn't have anywhere close. He doesn't have this guy doesn't have any close anywhere close to Joey Gallo's power. Of course, I, I, I'm I'm reasonably certain that Gallo has sneezed in the middle of a bat and the ball went 450 feet. I mean, <laughs> that, that 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 guy's that guy's a mutant, but. I mean, he's an interesting depth piece. That's that's kind of how I feel about him. You know, he he he's definitely an interesting pitch hitter because you know the range of outcomes can be pretty good. But um, I, I think he's more of a guy that you know can fill up fill in in a pinch. I don't know if he necessarily can beat out any of the guys the Braves have on the roster right now for a spot at like third base, for example. I was about um, to say, but, you know, like a guy, I mean, if the platoon splits, like if the, if the matchup works, and you know, he's an interesting bench piece to a guy that you can kind of have him on that like that that Gwinnett monorail that can kind of, you know, fill in as needed. He's, you know, he is an interesting guy. He still has minor league options left. So you can kind of, you can kind of move him up and down as needed. Um, he, he's interesting. It's hard to classify him as good, but if, you know, he's also a guy that, you know, maybe he just needs some more time at Gwinnett, but his biggest problem is that he doesn't swing very often. He, he kind of, he'll, he'll let a pitcher either make a really bad mistake, in which case it does go a long way, or he'll like, well, if he has command today, then I guess I'm going to strike out. Or if he doesn't, then I'm going to get to draw a walk. I, you know, it's everything. So much this stuff. He, he hits the ball in the air, and that that's, you know, it is one swing every game. It's 
that that will happen. It was like a sixty-five percent fly ball, something insane. The I I yep. was more wondering about whether it spelled the end for, or if at least it put if it almost spelled the end for real Ruiz, really in terms of the Braves plans of the future, uh, I am notoriously low on Rio. I was high when we first acquired him from the Astros. Um, just, just eyeballing him. I'm not certain. I think he's kind of a quad a player. I don't think he's ever really a guy that's going to hit big league pitching. That's important. to Remember, he's still young. I believe he's only 24 still. It just feels like he's been around forever. Uh, I, I, I just have real problems with a guy who to this point has struggled so badly with, both off-speed and inside fastballs, um, and has not had a good spring. Uh, he has. I mean, he hit one. He hit a home, he hit a home run in in yesterday's, in yesterday's game that was off the batter's eye. So that was a good sign. And you know, I've heard that he's put in a lot of work with uh, you know with a hitting coach that supposedly has paid off for a lot of like the same hitting coach that paid off for a lot of other different guys. So I'm, I'm not necessarily willing to write him off yet, but the, he. It's been three years since he's hit lefties even remotely well, and it's it's a tough thing because you know he you can see the talent and when he when he has a good game you're like okay here it comes, and he's when he's good he's like good for a week and you're like okay you finally figured it out and then he kind of you know falls off a cliff again. I'm I'm skeptical. I don't know if necessarily the shimp deal makes makes the the you know rings the death the death knell for for Rio so much as there's a lot of talented guys, a lot of guys who are probably more well-rounded and the presence of Camargo being able to play third base, maybe that's not where he should be every day, but between that and a lot of other kind of platoony type guys where Rio is going to have to do some real work to kind of stick on the major, on the major league roster. And especially with Austin Riley kind of knocking on the door too, it's kind of hard to envision a future for him. Uh, with the Braves, uh, especially since his two op- options are like basically third base and third and first base, and yeah, I don't know if you're aware, but this guy named Freddie Freeman is occupying first base for the foreseeable future. So, I think that Camargo. Um, I think this deal is kind of interesting in that you know Rio can play third, or he can back up first, and just <clears throat> there aren't a whole lot of options for backing up first on this team outside of Marquez or maybe Tyler Flowers. So I think that the whole idea of positional versatility, um, having a guy like Shemp who can play second and third, having a guy like Camargo who can play uh, second, third, short, having Rio be, be on the corners, you know, I think it's interesting. It does kind of limit the bench a little bit. But, yeah, I don't know if it, it, this necessarily spell, spells the end for Rio, but he, if, if he doesn't start to – um, if he doesn't stop striking out, it's going to be really hard for him to stick, for sure. Yeah, it's more, it's more problems with Rio so much as you know any other acquisition. He just has he has some big things to <laughs> have to work on. All right, before we get to the questions portion of this, like our silly questions, I actually have something I really wanted to discuss, and it was from uh, Aaron Houston. You had it on Talking Chop. This is actually this might be one of the best articles. I've actually come across in months, maybe even a year or two. Uh, if you're, you know, since the Braves are kind of locked out of the international market for really probably until 2022, really, when you talk about all of the penalties that are going to kick in and how much money they're going to have, you're going to be able to get maybe one okay player at best. Um, they're going to have to get creative. And while I don't think they're necessarily, I don't think they're ever going to be 
free agency spenders on par with like the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox, where basically those teams can basically get anybody they want. I'm not even so sure that they'll become the Rangers, where they'll have uh, two or three giant contracts. The article, which if you Google it and, and find it, because it's it's back there a little bit, uh, it's it's talking about the Asian market and if that can be kind of a, a surprise method for the Braves to acquire some pieces, at least some some lottery tickets. And some of these players, uh, a couple in particular, are players that I had really been watching before this even came out that I'm still super high on. Um, Tetsudo Yamada should be the name that you all already know. Uh, in the article, he's classified as, as Japan's Mike Trout, and that's actually something I've heard before. It wasn't just from the article. Uh, there's, there's a number of guys that I respect that talk about him in this way. Uh, he's a 5'11 second baseman. There's not a lot on defense, so I have to really dig deep and find some, some video to see how his arm is. But you want to talk about power and speed? Yamada's a guy that's going to take a $20 million posting fee. I promise. Um, but... He's got 38 homers in 2015, 38 in 2016. Um, He got injured last year, but he still hit 24. He's like a career. He's almost a 400 career OBP guy. He's a guy that if I were to get crazy in free agency, and I'm not saying that they're not going to go after a Donaldson or a Machado or or somebody like that, but if he failed to get one of those, Yamada's a guy that's not going to be held to any of the guys in this article are not going to be held to the the IFA restrictions because they've played they're 25 years or older and they've played six plus seasons in their professional leagues over there so you still have to do a posting fee but they're not subject to the international free agent market like Shohei Otani was uh you obviously read the article Eric was there any names besides you got uh what did you think uh, on 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 that who was the names that kind of stuck out to you there so I have general thoughts first on the Asian market, but it's, it's an interesting idea, right? Because they're kind of like, it's like not the IFA market where it's like, you know, you're paying pennies on the dollar for really talented guys. Cause you just have to, you have to get them when they're like 16 years old and you're kind of making long-term bets, but the, it's probably the best bang for your buck in terms of spending for talent, even, even better than the draft um, with the draft being probably second. And it's not, and it'll be free agency where they're kind of known commodities. You know how they'll come, you will know how they'll play against major league competition, uh, but you're going to be paying for it. Whereas the Asian, like the, like the Cuba market where like, you know, the older Cuba players, which I'm at this point, there's really not that many of them anymore because they've all been kind of snatched up. But, and then there's the Asian market. Now I caution in general, the idea of trying to invest in position players from the Asian markets, because those are very offensively inflated leagues. Now that's not to say these guys can't be good, but the history of offensive players doing particularly well in the major league level, like there have certainly been, there have certainly been, I mean, Hideki Matsu was a very good baseball player, right? Like Ichiro, he, he, obviously. No, yeah. I mean, Ichiro was really, and, but now we're kind of in like for in the case in, in, of Ichiro, he's kind of a mutant in that, we haven't really seen many hitters, period, with his profile, like, you know, like, you know, death by a thousand singles, but he hit, like, he had, like, multiple major league single season records for numbers of hits, right? Um, and Hideki Matsui, like, he, like, those are, those were good players, but there's also been a slew of guys who, like, couldn't even stick with, um, who were really good baseball players over there who could not even stick on major league teams for an entire year. So I, in general, I'm skeptical of position players from, that, that, that played baseball in, you know, whether it be in Japan or Taiwan or Korea. Uh, Korea in particular is a, a tough 
profile because there's just been so few guys that have been successful over there. Um, pitchers, on the other hand, who have to try to thrive in that particular in that particular environment that's inflated, I'm a little more interested in. Um, in uh, you say Kaguchi is a guy that you know he can you know throws mid to high 90s and he. He, I mean, his slider's a, a good pitch, too, and he's the, – the problem with a guy like that who is so good is that his usage has been really high, and he has some injury issues, too. So it kind of depends on the posting fees and the costs for me in terms of a lot of these guys because, you know, for a guy like Yamada, for example, if, you know, enough teams are interested, the post – you know, how, what his posting fee is and then kind of like under the new rules, you know, how much that ultimately ends up costing a, a team to kind of sign him. Those are those are hard projections to make in terms of like how much what kind of posting fees fees these guys are going to get. And a lot of it depends on how their their twenty eighteens go. Um, once the season ends, I'll I'll have stronger thoughts on this. But I think it's a thought in the right direction to try to find different ways to acquire talent where you don't have to spend two hundred million dollars in free agency to get a really good guy, and you can't go to the free, international free agent market to kind of bolster your bolster your farm system outside of the draft because that's just not going to be an option for the Braves. I think they're going to be thinking outside the box in those ways. And a lot of this depends on how much the team is willing to spend overall this coming off season and what happened. Like there's going to be multiple dominoes like that, that they are going to need to have an infusion of some kind of talent this off season. And, you know, a lot of this season, you're kind of hoping that the, the farm system is just going to bear fruit and, you know, there's less holes to fill, but if you can't get like some really marquee guys in free agency, it this seems like a reasonable way to spend your money, but it all depends on the, the money part of it. It's kind of how much you're, you're going to, you don't want to be just bidding against one other team that just drives up the posting fee just because they have money. And, you know, for whatever reason, they really want a guy from Asia. Uh, you know, teams like Seattle Mariners and the Texas Rangers seem to be very involved in the Asian market. And you don't want to necessarily spend 30 plus million dollars on a guy, especially one that like, is maybe not the best fit. Yamada is a guy that, for example, I mean, he seems like he's sort of, he has to be a second base guy. And as of right now, that's occupied by Ozzy Albies. And I think he'd be hard pressed to make the case that you'd feel more comfortable with Yamada than Albies playing out there. Now, if Dansby struggles this year and the Braves decide that maybe that's not the option and they slide Ozzy over to short, maybe we're in a different situation. But for right now, I was considering left field. I, I I don't have enough information about him to say that he wouldn't be able to make that out there, but I also am not 100% certain how much time he has out in the outfield either. So you're asking a guy to kind of come over and play in a completely new position and then hope that all the hope that his play at the plate and in the field is going to be reasonable. Um, it, it's not something I'm, I'm discounting at all. Just It's something that I'm, again, just in general, I'm, I can be a bit skeptical in terms of how good those guys can be. What would you do with Kikuchi? Because that's kind of the name that sticks out the most. He's a bona fide top of the rotation guy. You talked about he tops out at 98 uh, and 187 innings last year. It was 200 strikeouts, and he had a 911 whip. Um, now, you t- you touched on the injuries. He missed a couple starts with, with some uh, pain in his side, in his non-throwing side. He's a lefty, which I like. Uh, I've watched enough on his delivery. His actual delivery is very clean. There's not there's not a lot of herky jerk motions. He's got that kind of weird leg kick that you see from a bunch of Japanese pitchers. I I really do think his stock is going to soar. Um, I 
he looks kind of similar profile to Masahiro Tanaka. Uh, I don't think he's Kenta Maeda, which is what um, Aaron kind of touched on. The, the age coming across would be kind of similar to Kenta Maeda. I think he's he's a better profile than Maeda. It's going to cost $20 million is the max posting fee, and I think it would be right to assume that it's going to be $20 million, um, at period because I'm if, if we are hearing about these guys, there's no possible way that the Major League Scouts haven't heard about them. When you're talking about the marquee pitchers for next season, uh, I think it would be foolish to think that Clayton Kershaw actually hits the open market. So really, it would kind of be Dallas Keuchel, I think, would probably be the next top top arm there. Uh, so it would come down to whether you want to pay Keuchel 125, $130 million, or maybe the, let's say, after a, a contract, maybe 75 to $90 million for Kikuchi. Um, so but in terms of like money, if you, if you, if you believe in Kikuchi as a pitcher, the money obviously makes sense. Um, but given that there's going to be a lot of bidders for his services, he's going to kind of get be able to kind of pick where he wants to go. A guy that talented, like you'll have enough suitors where you kind of get to choose where you want to go. Part of my concern, and I'm not sure how much of this is true anymore, but it's, it did seem to be true that of a lot of the, um, a lot of the, like top Asian talent to come out in the last few years. Multiple times it had been mentioned both privately and in the public sphere that how the Braves treated Kenshin Kawakami when he came over and kind of how his, that, that, that is not looked highly upon, especially by some agents over in Japan and, or in Japan and whether or not that's bled into other markets, you know, whether that that's true of Korea, whether that's true of other places and, kind of what these guys want their marketability to be because ultimately some of the reason why some of these guys have picked, you know, the Seattle's or the, you know, or Texas or Los Angeles, which is kind of, you know, on the, either on the West coast are kind of known to have a following in Asia is that they can continue to have market marketability over in their home countries. And whether or not the Atlanta will necessarily be on that list is hard to guess, especially with kind of, some potential and I'm not, I have no recent insight on this as to whether or not there are some kind of lingering hard feelings as kind of how the Kawakami stuff went. I have to be honest. You kind of brought me down a little bit cause I've been on the Kikuchi train for a bit. Um, and I would love to see him over here in America. That cursed Kenshin Kawakami deal is coming back to bite you no matter what happens. Uh, <laughs> we're getting close to the end of the show. So before, before we get right to these questions, I'm kind of weird and I'm always liking to, I'll be honest, there's pretty much no chance. You're not really going to see any real trades happen, I don't believe. I think AA's done. I think he's going to roll with what he's got, take a year, see what he's got. But it's always fun to throw out some names. Um, so I always like to, to grill anybody I talk to on how they feel about potential guys. Um, as far as the Royals rebuilding, Danny Duffy's a guy that I am very high on. I have been for last couple years, really. Uh, I would do pretty much whatever was in my power to bring in Danny Duffy without going crazy since the Royals are in a rebuild. But that's not a fun name. I brought him up a lot. I kind of look at when you're when you're talking about the outfield. Not a lot of people are are super excited about Marcakis. Uh, obviously, he's a he's an average player. I don't have any. I don't harbor any ill will towards Marcakis. Um, last year was was not good. It was a point seven F four, I believe. Um, that was not good. And you, you worry about is that going to be what he is since he's getting older and all this good stuff. But I do think that he's still a league average player, making kind of a league average salary. So I I, I don't see any real problem there. Um, I do wonder about Lane Adams and Preston Tucker. Now, I kind of like Tucker. I'd kind of like to see what he could do. But 
would it be would you be interested in a Keon Broxton or a Brett Phillips from Milwaukee with such a crowded outfield up there? I think I'd be more interested in Brett Phillips than Keon Broxton and uh, Keon. It's just kind of a. It, it, I, I know it's, again. This is kind of cheating, but ultimately, it matters a lot about the price because you don't want to, if you have to if you're investing a significant amount to get a given guy, then it makes less sense for me. Um, especially when I feel like that there would be reasonable free agent options, maybe not exciting ones, because ultimately what's going to happen is that we're going to have. And they're in CRT for the foreseeable future in center field. And once Acuna comes up and Marquecas is gone, then he'll be in right. Now, that means you just kind of need a guy to fill in at left field. Now, I like Brett Phillips in that he kind of has, brings value in a lot of kind of different and unique, kind of unique ways and kind of would bring a, assuming that he has, he, he can play the way he can, he would be an interesting player to acquire. Now, how much he would cost remains to be seen. But he's the guy I'd be more interested in. But the, the, in terms of like left field, I'm, I'm more interested in kind of seeing what the Braves are doing like after this year with catcher and third base. And left field is kind of a, a place where you can kind of find guys that will provide value so long as they're not Matt Kemp-esque type statues um, and can you know provide pride offensive value while not necessarily detracting from the team overall. Uh, it's not. I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not a super high priority for me. So a guy like Brett Phillips would be fine, but it's not something that I would necessarily spend a bunch of resources on. Doc, what are you thinking about this? Because I know how high you are on Brett Phillips, which I'm assuming you'd rather go for Phillips. Would you be cool with Broxton as well? I suppose so, but I, th- I think Phillips just adds a little bit more um, with, with the emphasis that's been placed on defense. I think that. Um, Phillips is going to be the superior defender. He he might not give quite as much power as Broxton would on offense, but I think as far as being more well-rounded, giving you a little bit more average, I think that that Phillips would be the guy. And when you're looking at architecting an outfield, where you know Enciarte is a natural center fielder, Acuna is a natural center fielder, and I think Pache that might be the na- best of the bunch. May, maybe so. And then so, but he he's still you know he's going to wind up starting in high A. So that's. He's still uh, a year, maybe two years away. So if you have a defensive outfield that's got three center fielders in it, I mean, it's a cliched statement, but that's an outfield where balls go to die. You know, you have guys with strong arms and, and great range and everything. So I think that that could be, I think that he's a more logical target, not just for what I would be looking for in a player, but what. Uh, Anthopolis would be looking for a player as well. It would be fun and, to see anybody trying to run on an outfield that consisted of the arms of Acuna, Inciarte, and Brett Phillips. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that, that the surplus that, that Milwaukee has as far as outfielders and the surplus Atlanta is about to have with pitchers, I, I think that even if something doesn't happen by the end of this offseason, which, I mean, opening days in 22 days. I, I don't necessarily know if, <clears throat> if anything is going to happen right now, but that doesn't wouldn't preclude something from happening in a couple of months or next off season or, or something like that. I, I think that there's something to, something to keep an eye on. And like I said, keep an open line of communication, like I said, don't get crazy. None of this is likely to happen. I'm just kind of weird. And I always like to run these scenarios through my head. It's I'll have, I'll have, it's like weekly with me. 
I'll get stuck on something like, ooh, 2020 guy, huh? I wonder what it would take to get him. Or, or for a while, it was, um, uh, was it Cole Calhoun for the Angels, uh, who I still think would be awesome. But there, there's just little players like that who I'd be like, ah, oh, I wonder if he's available. I wonder what he would take. And it's not, it's not like it's going to happen. It's just I have to keep my brain occupied. Um, we are getting kind of close. So we always like to have some fun questions and some serious questions with our guests. So, Doc, I think because I've talked way too much in the show, I'm going to let you kind of take the reins here. Cool. So, Eric, I actually I have uh, 10 questions for you. We can do these rapid fire family feud style. You can elaborate as okay. much as you want or you can you can keep these um, keep them nice and concise answers. The, f- the first couple are actually baseball related. Uh, first, who was your favorite non Braves player growing up? Ken Griffey Jr. Not close. Yeah, yeah, that would be my answer too. Strong, even with the Second hat backwards. Uh, oh, hat backwards, hundred percent. I looked up. When we went, we went, when we went on a scouting trip to to Florida this past summer, Griffey showed up at one of the at the backfields we were at the game we were watching. Uh, oh yeah, and yeah, and uh, did, did have managed to take a picture with him. Uh, Matt Powers got to take a picture with him. Uh, he didn't seem super happy about getting to take that picture, but I'll never see him again. And he probably forgot me <laughs> ten minutes after I got him. So uh, the, the picture was taken and it's done. So that's cool. That's really cool. Uh, second question: Other than a team from the NL East, which team do you despise the most? Do I despise the most? Yes, New York Yankees. Because my <laughs> mom, agree. when she was well, my mom was a diehard Red Sox fan. Oh no! And my dad grew my, and my dad grew up a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. Oh no! So there's there was there was no situation in which Yankees anything was allowed in my house when I growing up. So uh, Yankees definitely. That's literally okay. the three teams I would hate the most: is Yankees, Red Sox, and Dodgers, probably in that order. For uh, as what is a rule change that you would like to see implemented? A rule change that I would like to see implemented. I don't know if it's a rule change, but cutting down on commercial breaks would be a super big plus, just because I think that that help a lot with pace of play stuff. Uh, in terms of, and I would find a way to limit how long replays take because if it takes ten minutes to figure it out, then it's not a play that needs to be reviewable by replay anyway. So. Uh, cutting down, cutting down on the times for both commercials as well as how long replay takes. Those would be my probably my big two. But baseball is a really fun game, and they've they've gotten it pretty close to right. Sub question: um, If they were able to shave one minute off every commercial break, would you be in favor of advertisements on the uniforms like they do in soccer? No, I think baseball. I think I think that if you shave a minute off minutes off commercial times, but you actually do, for example, get rid of blackout restrictions on MLB streaming services and things like that, then you'll make all the money that you need to make. No advertising. Good, good answer, my man. <laughs> all right, fourth question before we get slightly uh, ridiculous: uh, of the Talking Chop crew, who is the most yeah. suave in real life? The most suave. Yes. Okay. Uh, I actually, this is actually pretty straightforward. It's Garab Vidak. Um, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, it, it's definitely Garab. It's definitely not Garrett. But uh, uh, in terms of in terms of swabbing, like 
I mean, Garam is like a midtown hipster that will like eat avocado toast every day and like will go will go searching for like the highest quality coffee in any given city that he lives in. But he's also an unbelievably nice guy and like really good at what he does too. So it's kind of it's kind of funny. Like if you even if you just get the minor league crew in a room together, there's like such a wide variance in personalities, looks, and everything. And it's just you know, but it it's still it's just it feels right. It's a lot of fun. I had a feeling that that was going to be the answer, but I thought I would yeah, give a clarification. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely not me either. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. What is your least favorite state in the United States? My least favorite state? Um, it used to be Pennsylvania just because of how far. How, I used to live in upstate New York. I actually lived 20 minutes from Cooperstown growing up. But how long it takes the state of Pennsylvania to, to get through it, especially coming back home? Um, coming south where like it's like eight hours of your trip is Pennsylvania because the roads are so bad and there's constantly construction. It used to be that one. Florida jumped way up on the list though, because the, the, the weather down there ranged from surface of the sun to monsoon. And there was nothing in between. Um, <laughs> I would see one little cloud in the sky and I'd be like, that's going to dump on us for an hour and a half. And that's exactly what would happen every time. Uh, and driving around, I, I completely understand why the Braves moved to move spring training facilities now because that drive, sucks in, in central florida you guys got rained out like every day when you were down there didn't you three three straight fire frogs games oh my god and we went to game and, and we went to and we went to gcl games in the mornings and it was like 95 degrees and like we were all near heat exhaustion every day at noon at three and at five thirty, it rains like clockwork yeah, that's it's, true it's, it's pretty bad all right, so Pennsylvania and Florida for least favorite state. If if you yeah. were, n- next question, if you were a WWE wrestler, what okay. would what would your wrestling name be? And sub question, what would your finishing move be called? Ooh, yeah. Mm, this is tough. What would my wrestling name be? Yeah. I would stick with leprechaun, but I'd spell it the way that you, most normal people would say would would do it, and I would I would I'd grow my my sideburns back out again, uh, and I would tr- I would try to do some sort of like a like double arm DDT type maneuver, uh, and just like call it like the pot of gold or something, and just plant people on their face. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Okay, uh, what Olympic event? Uh, Winter Olympics or or Summer Olympics, would you like to do the most? Oh, curling, one hundred percent. That stuff was awesome. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I loved watching that this year. It was like, I mean, obviously, you know, USA was taking gold when they had no business doing it was great, but like, just like, but the idea that like sliding a rock, it's and then taking birds and tr- yeah, and yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's like. But I mean, but like it's like crazy shuffleboard where like this rock's like twenty pounds and you're just like you know shooting at one hundred and fifty meters ahead of you and like taking little brushes. Uh, I'd love to do that once. Uh, you could not pay me to get on a luge though because that looks scary. I feel like I could meddle in curling, and that's might be why so many people gravitated towards it this year. Because you look at the guys that are on there, and you 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 just look at the way that they look. And I'm not trying to say anything bad, but. The, the, I'm pretty they look sure. Like softball players. Exactly. Fine. I'm in better shape than half those guys. I feel like I could, I could, I could definitely be the brush guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the skating part is a little trickier than you'd think, but yeah. 
because uh, uh, ice skating is, as it turns out, rather difficult if you don't know what you're doing. I have the bruises to prove it. <laughs> All right, we got three questions left. Um, okay. Current or historical? Name a band that you cannot believe got as popular as they did. I mean, I don't think <laughs> I don't think there's any other acceptable answer other than Justin Bieber. Because I mean, I don't say he's not talented, but I mean, good God, no, <laughs> hard hard pass. All right. Um, when you were growing up, what was your preferred video gaming system, and what was your favorite game? Okay, well, I mean, I had see, I'm 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 kind of old, so I mean, I had the original Nintendo, and I was a big big fan of that. I was a Sega Genesis guy, though. Uh, most of the games that I got growing up was for Sega Genesis. Um, my favorite game on that, though, uh, probably right. Mortal Kombat Two. Yeah, more, more, uh, original Mortal Kombat was good, but Mortal Kombat Two was a better game. Finish him. Yeah, th- this is why you didn't even didn't even hesitate to have a finishing move. So exactly. uh, I've, I've I've got it all planned out. <laughs> All right. Final question. Thank you very much for being a being a good sport and answering some of these ridiculous questions. This is less of an opinion and more of a, a recall question. Uh, name the order in which a Big Mac is assembled from top to bottom. Um, the tears of crying children. <laughs> mis- mystery meat. <laughs> unknown cheese. Quote special quote sauce. <laughs> Artificial lettuce. Regular bun. My final answer. That's actually that's really good. You left out the pickles, but I think that I think that that's a that's a pretty acceptable answer for the big. Uh, what about the onions? I, I get mine with no pickles, no onions. <laughs> I'm not saying I didn't eat them. I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, if the, if the lettuce is artificial, you know that the that there's questionable questionable nature of the uh, the pickles and the onions too. Well, congratulations! I just need a little bit of crunch, you know. Like I'm, I accept what I am. I don't need it to have any taste. Just just crunch. Exactly. Well, congratulations! You made it through. You have officially been run through the ringer, Eric. Thank you very much for uh, for tolerating um, four reasonable questions and six that had nothing to do with anything. absolutely it was fun yeah eric thanks for joining us on the platinum sombrero one of these days when we get merchandise going we'll have to get a hat for all of our beloved guests hey i certainly certainly hope that you will you will sign my hat eric i I will do my own i'm actually gonna be seeing you relatively soon doc uh because we're gonna be doing some futures game stuff that is correct that's uh less than three weeks at this point really looking forward to it oh yeah it's gonna be fun yeah are we about uh, is that about wrap us up here? I think it does. Uh, thank you to everyone who was uh, who was tuned in to last week's episode and uh, and tonight's as well. And we will be back next week uh, to do this again. Have a good time. It's been a fantastic draw, uh, fantastic ride. Enjoyed it again today, Eric. Thanks for staying on with us the entire time. Uh, it's gonna make promise you this will make this a lot easier to cut up for me. Uh, we'll have this all posted and everything. Make sure you're following Eric. Eric, let him know where to find you at, please, sir. Sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. Uh, you can also just search Eric Cole, Braves minor leagues guy. If you're, if you're like some people who have struggled with the spelling of the regular or my version of the word Leprechaun, uh, you can also uh, follow the podcast that I'm a co-host for the road to Atlanta at road, the number two Atlanta. 
Uh, and that's a podcast to the solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. You can follow Talking Chop. That seems easy enough to spell all one word. Um, and you know, you, I'm I'm always doing something, whether it be doing a podcast, you know, or writing something for Talking Chop, or just doing stuff on Twitter. So I'm a pretty easy guy to find, and definitely give me a follow if you can. Always a, a very bright mind to pick on Twitter if you can uh, come with with decent questions. Don't be an idiot. Um, once again. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Doc, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Likewise, bud. All right, everybody. Have a great night out there. We will have this up. Thank you for tuning in to the Platinum Sombrero. We will see you guys next week with a very special knucklehead joining the show. Play guitar, play guitar